Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And Lewis, have you ever noticed that Donald Trump is kind of like Senator Palpatine, or Chancellor Palpatine, actually, in the way that he is um, dis- disrespecting and destroying our democracy? Yeah, more like Palpatrump. More like uh, Orange Man Trump fatigue. Oh, <laughs> palpable fascist. Uh, oh my God. More like uh, Putin. These are all terrible. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, here, folks. folks. We didn't. Uh, we didn't plan this at all. Nick just did this to me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just like Palpatine, Palpatine's uh, successful coup of the Galactic Republic. Yeah. So. I just had. I just had to do it to him, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so if you couldn't guess by now we are uh rounding out the star wars prequel films with episode three revenge of the sith released in 2005 directed by you guessed it george lucas uh starring the exact same people um i don't very few additions for the main cast i think a notable addition is um west wing alumnus uh jimmy smith's um, he's in the last one, but he has a larger role in this one. That's correct. For sure. And uh, this is often held up as the best prequel. It is often held up as the most mature, um, best directed, best best content, best story, best everything um, of the prequels. And the tragedy of Darth Nick the Wise is that I've realized it is not the best of the prequels. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought so too. Um, I remember as a kid, I was super excited about this one. Um, I uh, and then afterwards, I I loved it, and uh, I kept loving it for a very long time until it was uh, in vogue to hate these films. Uh, like when I went to college, and then I just believed you when you told me that this was still good. This movie, but no, it's not. It's fucking terrible. It's- <laughs> um it's official it's official folks uh the phantom menace episode one is the best prequel like i went into this prequel rewatch um and i was pleasantly surprised by episode one i was vindicated by episode two because i remembered that one as being really crappy and i was let down by episode three because i thought that it was better than i had remembered um and a lot of my memories of episode three this is the only novelization of the prequels that i ever read um come from the the far superior novelization but uh yeah this this is really it's such a rough film it's as it was as difficult as episode two was to sit through for me this was worse for me actually i gave up on this movie about about halfway through um and uh yeah at the end when anakin says uh, or like he 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 very like has this guttural like golem like noise come out of his mouth this was i hate you like i just i was like you know what that's how i feel about this movie that's how that's how i feel about everybody who is involved in making this movie except i'm at best mm-hmm. um yeah this 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 movie is a weird one because like a lot of the story a lot of the story work a lot of the narrative uh work that should have been done in the first two um, is kind of backloaded onto this one um, and backloaded not only onto this movie within the context of the prequels, but is backloaded in the movie 
like we we get a really cool opening sequence that we'll go into and then like the middle like i don't know like 60 percent of this movie is people sitting down on couches and talking to each other right which you know those are movies we generally like uh but uh, when you have awful dialogue um perhaps that's uh, not what you should focus on you should focus on spectacle and then we can talk about how they squander all spectacle in this film outside of the the opening uh, act basically Mm -hmm. um infamously george lucas's uh ex-wife i think her name's marcia lewis or marcia lucas um had edited uh, the original uh, movies. She she provided editing work on the dialogue. Um, definitely of episode four. I think she w- they were still married when she did that for episode uh, five, Empire Strikes Back. But um, th- there are some screenshots that are kind of funny floating around out there of like the original dialogue and then like angry red pen crossing it out and like rewriting it. So it's like more, it's like catchier and like more human. And um I don't know why he couldn't find a competent editor or a writer, um, but it that absence is really felt in this one. Yeah, you know, uh, the whole time, like, I was just thinking of actors like uh, Ian McDermott or Christopher Lee, or even at this point, Ewan McGregor, um, to, and to some extent, Natalie Portman, who, like, were somewhat well-known actors, classically trained, or, or at least had been in the business for a very long time, um... And, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, why they would sign up to do this movie outside of nostalgia for, you know, uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, you know, uh, Ewan McGregor's, like, uncle was in the first trilogy. Ewan McGregor's uncle was played Wedge and Tilly's. Yeah. So, like, I get, I guess Dennis I Lawson. get why that, yeah. why he's, why he did that. But, um, and Natalie Portman's just pretty young. It was, you know, um, one of her first roles. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure after they signed on to the first one, they had a contract for all three. Right, exactly. But like Christopher Lee, like, I mean, I guess, again, nostalgia. He does, every, he does like, everything, though. He he, just, he, he'll take a, anything. He slums it, and he, he's done some real schlock in his day. Yeah, but like even like the Hammer films, like, you know, Dracula stuff is like better schlock than these fucking movies. And like, at least he's a star and role in that. And here he just like... What, he just gets his hands chopped off and his head chopped off within five minutes and previously had two lines honestly, of dialogue. Honestly, that's probably why he liked this film. But like the, the second film, he was probably like, yeah, sure, like Star Wars, who would say no? And then by the third one, he literally he's in it for like all of 10 minutes in the rest of it. And like half of that time is like CGI or stunt doubles. So he shows up on set for like a week. And then he like plays around with swords with with hitting Christensen, and then he gets a check, and that's it. Like, yeah, I no. mean, I, I can't blame him, but uh, geez, I I don't know. I would never agree if after reading this script, I would never agree to be in it. Um, I I, <laughs> yes. I I mean, I guess yeah, the paycheck is nice, of course. I'm sure he got six figures for a few weeks of shooting, yep. but uh, I don't know. I, I guess I don't want to call him a sellout, but like I, I could never be in this movie specifically. This movie is so god awful. What's funny? There, I mentioned the novelization of this book, and the reason the reason I got the novelization is because up until episode three, I had seen every Star Wars movie opening day in theaters. Um, but my friend at the time, who I wanted to bring with me, couldn't make it opening day, so I had to see it a day later. Um, so I felt really bad. 
So to console myself, I bought the novelization and read the novelization <laughs> before I saw the movie. And um, I do think reading reading the novelization kind of put like rose tinted glasses on me. Um, at least up until I just watched it now. Um, I remember I remember thinking to myself as a 15 year old um, little fail son like. Oh, th- this movie's like it's the most Shakespearean Star Wars because like they talk and stuff, and like it's, it focuses on their interpersonal relationships, and like it's almost like a stage play. And yeah, no shit, it's like a stage play because like people walk into frame from like just out of frame, and they sit there and they talk for a bit, and then they walk out of frame, and then the scene ends. Like that's why it's it's literally like filming a goddamn stage play at times. Like there is no there is no sense of like a camera in a world. It, it, it's just like a flat angle of watching people talk to each other no for sure i mean the scenes in the jedi council the scenes in padme and anakin's penthouse some of the most boringly shot scenes in this film honestly i i just there's no sense of blocking there's no sense of composition there's really no sense of um anything like i i really um yeah and and of course all those scenes are cgi backdrops um even something as simple as like walking down a hallway in the Jedi temple. Uh, there's this one shot with Anakin and Obi-Wan and it's like, they literally didn't construct a set at all for nope. that. Nope. Um, which, you know, whatever. I, I think there are films that can do that pretty well. Just this one is, is not one of those films. The most damning scene for me. And it, it's, it's not the worst scene. Cause like it, it's impossible to pick the worst. But the one that really made this jump out for me is when Palpatine reveals himself as a Sith Lord to Anakin, which is like the high point of the conflict, right? Like you have your your tragic hero who finds out that one of his mentors is the hidden elusive enemy they've been searching for for like a decade at this point. And it's it's in Palpatine's like the waiting room of his office. And they're just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. they're, they're just like walking and they're just talking and there's no music. Maybe there's like a little bit of like atmosphere music, but like it, it's not noticeable whatsoever. If so, because mm-hmm. I can't even remember it. And Anakin's like, "What? what you're <laughs> the Sith?" Lo-? And like, oh my god! Like, there is no dramatic weight to the way it's shot. There is no dramatic weight to the dialogue. There's no dramatic weight to like anything. And it's like two assholes having a conversation in, in like an office waiting room. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like it's like the moment when Darth Vader learns the truth about like himself and his mentor, and of of every scene that should be like overwrought and really Shakespearean, it's that, but it, it wasn't. Right? Yeah, I I would love to see the storyboards for this film. Honestly, I, I just mm-hmm. can't imagine they did a lot of storyboarding, or if they did, they had someone who was you know just totally incompetent do the storyboarding. Maybe it was Lucas himself, and maybe that's not his forte. But yeah, it's like they just again like we talked about in the previous episode with coverage like i think they just like they shot a shit ton of angles and they just went with the most standard honestly for that scene i mean to crib from other media again um there there is a scene in the special features of i think it's this one where um lucas talks about his directing style um and he says he has a camera and b camera like two different two different angles and they're the same every time And then he'll just film both angles of like the two people talking and having a discussion and then then he'll cross cut between them during the discussion and like that's it. Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, Ridley Scott kind of, 
I don't want to say pioneered that, but he made it pretty popular to just film a dialogue scene with like two cameras uh, simultaneously. So, okay, so Lucas just does that. Well, you know, um, from one boring director to the next, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I do feel bad because like th- this whole this whole month of like the prequel episodes has been like a like a reckoning with my my relationship with Star Wars because like I, I came into it with like such high hopes for like oh it's, it's gonna be schlock but it's gonna be like schlock that i know i can like dig into it like up to my elbows and i can like really get go nerdy on like all the, the minutia of everything and you can feel lucas's like passion for this shit devolve with each successive episode it's crazy yeah really um shows in this one like i think this one more than any of the other films i think editors were given more free reign yeah. Um, much oh to the God. detriment yep. of this uh, movie. And I think this is uh, the the loathsome content that we really want to focus on uh, for this episode yep. is the editing yes. of, of this movie. Uh, Nick had yes. mentioned uh, the, the term cross-cutting, and that's going to be our, our term for this episode. Um, so cross-cutting is... Ooh, ooh, ooh. It's when you take a lightsaber and you use either Form 4 or Form 5, and you cross-cut when you use two lightsabers at once. Actually, that would be Form 6, or a variant of Form 6. Wow. <laughs> you should see his face right now. Wow. I don't even... Okay, I gotta, sorry, I gotta play the straight man here, so that's all I got, <laughs> folks. Um, but yeah, so it's an editing technique in which you just cut between shots to establish simultaneous action. Uh, like Nick was saying, it's it's a common technique in terms of conversations, um, uh, you know, phone calls, stuff like that. Um, usually the action is in the same place, but it doesn't always have to be. Sometimes it doesn't have to be the same time. There are films that do cross-cutting to just draw parallels between action, um, but those actions are not simultaneous. Um, But one of the, I would say, like classic examples of cross-cutting where it is simultaneous action, um, same time, different places, would be in The Godfather, uh, the baptism scene, uh, where uh, Connie's kid is being baptized and the Mafia Dons, the rival Mafia Dons, are all being whacked in these different locations. Um, so that is cross-cutting done well. Um, say what you will about The Godfather, but it's a good use of that editing technique. Uh, however, <laughs> in Star Wars <laughs> Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, it is some of uh, the worst uh, cross cutting I have ever seen yeah. in a movie. Um, it's it's so bad. Like I, especially watching movies with you and, and discussing movies with you, I, I've picked up on some of this stuff more than like more than I had been aware of even a few years ago. Um, all of which is to say, I I'm not the most observant person when it comes to editing or or, or stuff like that. But even I, it it like jumped out at me. Like there there are. Some of the some of the way that the scenes transitioned into into the next one, like it was like a windmill effect, or like oh a my bull, god, that fucking like a, windmill effect, or a bullseye effect, or like a checkerboard, like slow yeah. fade. Like it, uh, it, it, there was like a curtain in the middle. Yep, yep. It it and looked, like lines, like yeah. I kept the, <laughs> with the curtain one. I thought of like applause because like on a, <laughs> on a PowerPoint presentation when you do that, you add the stupid <laughs> cheap right. effects. 
it literally looked like that like it, it, did it was look like that and it's it's mind-boggling that like a a million like multi-million dollar movie production had like this kind of output it's crazy yeah no i was i was expecting like uh, like boing sound effects yeah, and shit like that yeah it was it was it was awful um like, the checkerboard one really got me i couldn't wow like one. <laughs> like the, when the crowd like whoa <laughs> But, you know, the the worst part about the cross-cutting in this movie is that, as I've said with the Godfather example, it's perfectly fine to do cross-cutting between two different locations. But Mm -hmm. if you're cross-cutting in between, like, pivotal fight scenes and pivotal moments, um, you have to be really careful. You could really, sorry for this pun, but you really cut the tension. Oh, oh. (laughs) And and cauterize the narrative flow. (laughs) 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 there's just there's too many examples of it in the movie to even just like pinpoint one or two but basically any critical fight scene um there's another alternative fight scene happening and they will cut between them within maybe like 30 seconds of of a previous cut by far the one that stands out most to me in my in my rewatch here is when General Grievous and Obi-Wan are having their fight, and it's intercut with Palpatine revealing himself to Anakin, that aforementioned really dry dialogue scene, um, intercut with, like, this crazy cyborg Jedi fight, and, um, yeah, just the complete, complete clashing of tone, complete clashing of, like, kinetic action on screen, and it it just, I, I get that, like, you can stylistically juxtapose very different moods in like a movie but this movie didn't know how to do that very well or at all no it didn't and uh you know especially when you're when you're cross-cutting between uh you know simultaneous action in different places um and actually i think in this instance i don't even think it's simultaneous action because who's to say that obi-wan is fighting grievous at the exact same time that anakin is talking with Palpatine. Um, so this is really, I mean, you really have to know what you're trying to parallel with this cross-cutting. Uh, you know, are there any parallel themes here? No. I can't, I can't think of any fucking parallel themes. The only... To, to give this movie way more credit than it deserves, like, you, you, could, <laughs> you could say um, Master and Student, Anakin and Obi-Wan, are both fighting for their lives, in a sense. Um, Obi-Wan is fighting a physical threat, or the ultimate physical threat of General Grievous. Anakin is fighting the ultimate um, spiritual existential threat of the Force, of, of the Sith seduction. Um, but I don't even think, like, this. The, the problem there is that I don't think it's it's a one-to-one significance. Like, the, the General Grievous-Obi-Wan right. fight, like, what? Right. there's no significance to that fucking fight. Like, I mean, well, there, there, I mean there's there significance, is. like, it's going to end the war. I get yes. that. But, like, yes. I don't know. Like, Grievous, like, sucks. Like, he's not good at fighting. Like, three out of four of his hands cut off within the first two seconds of his fight with Obi-Wan. Like, it's never established that... He is like as much of a threat as he seems to be, or the way people talk about him, you know, outside of the Clone Wars cartoon that we talked up in the previous episode, where he is, you know, a very menacing and imposing uh, threat. You know what's such a classic fuck you from that cartoon um, to this movie? 
uh, at the at the very end of the movie, um, after Grievous captures Palpatine, um, he's going to escape, and then Mace Windu confronts him, and they're gonna they're gonna throw down. And um, up until this point, Grievous had been established as like this unstoppable Terminator like killing machine, and then Mace Windu crushes his chest, and that's how Grievous starts coughing. And so like they give you a reason why Grievous sucks in this movie, because like <laughs> because he had been crippled by Mace Windu. But then it totally undermines no it, it, it's it's his, not like a, it's, it's, it's not a good a, thing no but it's it's, it's crazy I, yeah. it's yeah i all of this is to say that the cross-cutting in this film uh is just um a master class in how not to cross-cut your film um don't interrupt your action sequences uh as much as lucas and the editors do um don't don't interrupt your you know uh, hefty uh, you know plot beats of of uh, extreme significance uh, yeah just uh, don't do this. I think the only instance in the movie where it works, even even some in, in some small sense works, is when we cross cut between um, Anakin on the operating table having his armor grafted onto him. And then Padme on her operating table giving birth to Luke and Leia. Um, that very, very heavy-handed, very obvious connection there. It, all, all the characters are going through some kind of transformation rebirth thing. They're, both being, they're all being operated on from a purely uh, visual level. Um, but like it, it, that, that is literally the only instance of a couple, of more than a couple, like, like a few different cross-cutting sequences in this movie that even works to any degree. Yeah. No, I think that's that's right. I think um really one of the only ones and of course it's the one that's uh the most obvious and heavy-handed. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that that's such a gimme. That's so uh, I'm not giving them any credit for it. I'm just saying like at, at least they have the competence to not fuck up that scene. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um something else uh, a really minor thing that you pointed out that I I definitely picked up on way back in 2005 as well is in the opening crawls of this movie, it, it's, it's like, it starts off with like, WAR! Uh, the galaxy is full of it. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. Like, what does heroes on both sides mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, and we, we had the same uh, hy- hypothetical explanation here that um, the term hero has, like, changed enough. Like, like we're, we're linguistic uh, descriptivists here at, at Procon. We, we, we use language in a way, uh, or we, we refer to language in a way as it is actually used in real life. Um, prescriptivism has its place, but nine times out of ten, we're descriptivists. Anyway, um, I, I think the, the word hero has um, evolved to mean more of like a hero unit in a, a real-time strategy game. Not like, not like an admirable, strong, um, superior character or anything. No, exactly. Like I was just thinking, like, is this like? Do they mean like one of the characters you can play as in like Star Wars Battlefront Two? Like, yep. is is it like when you get enough points you can play as you know Jango Fett? Like, is that what they mean by yep. heroes on both sides? No, s- seriously, because like the word hero, especially in like a classic pulpy sense that like you would think Star Star Wars would use it as, it has a very like strict and straightforward meaning. But, like, if, if you consider General Grievous and Count Dooku as heroes, it's like Heroes of the Storm. It's like, oh, you can use a Zerg hero unit in, like, 
right click and you can use their special abilities. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. Especially with the next sentence, which is evil is everywhere. <laughs> or maybe that's like, I'm not going to try to defend it. Um, oh, were you going where, were you going to say that it means that both sides are bad? Everywhere. The shroud of the dark side is. Wait, hey, maybe it's actually closer to our read of this film that neoliberalism, capitalism, and fascism all go hand in hand. Evil yeah. is everywhere. It is because the system's evil. Yeah, and like from everyone's individual, like individualized, atomized perspective, everyone creates their own heroes. Everyone, everyone holds up different like demagogue strongmen as heroes, even though they they clearly aren't. Right. I mean, Palpatine's a hero in his is in, in his head mm-hmm. and, and in the separatists uh, you know mm-hmm. to their their perspective um it's actually really nuanced now that i think about it yeah that's crazy um i, I it's guess not, while we're, it's not while folks we're, it's, it's, <laughs> um while we're so ragging on this film which we'll, we'll do throughout the entire episode but we'll, while we're like focusing on it right now um the biggest problem from a narrative perspective from like a storytelling perspective that i have with it is um, the whole trilogy, but like especially this movie, really, really emphasizes the chosen one prophecy. Anakin's the chosen one who will bring balance to the Force. Anakin's the chosen one who will destroy the Sith. Anakin's the chosen one, like once in a lifetime, once in a generation, once in like once in eternity, like figure that like has such Force power that can like fix everything. But not only do we never learn like what the prophecy is. We, we like what it describes like as who the chosen one would be. We don't learn what bringing balance to the force means. Like Lucas has gone on record um, as saying that bringing balance to the force means destroying the Sith and destroying the dark side. Um, it's not much of a balance, though. <laughs> yeah, because like the, the <laughs> it's an eradication of the something. Ter- the term balance. The seesaw the would then be you know askew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that, that's so strange because like the term balance implies that like the Jedi and the Sith are gone, like both of them together. Which, in a, in a sense, Anakin does do at the end of the movie. So maybe it's like a a, a, a Peric victory, like a he, he inadvertently brought about this like catastrophe prophecy. Yeah, but he just kills the Jedi. The Sith are still around. There's two still. One one of the reads I've seen like floating around out there is that there are only two Jedi left at the end of this movie too. There's two Jedi and two Sith. Oh, balance so he, of the force done. That's it. So yeah, all all There's a prophecy. They, That's it. Simple <laughs> as that. You're wrong. The point is that this prophecy, like all prophecies, are bullshit. And if if you're gonna if you're gonna use that kind of thing in your story, um, you you either have to go like really really mystical and really like symbolic and representative, and and not be so tethered to like the individualized narrative beats of these things. Or you have to get really, you have to like really dig into the details. You have to really get like particular and exact and then have your characters do those things or not do those things and have the story change as a consequence. Um, you can't just like keep referring to it like literally anytime anybody talks to Anakin or about Anakin and then just like do nothing with it because that it, it's meaningless and I have no idea what happened or what was supposed to happen. 
Right, yeah. And I know I agree, all prophecies are bullshit because we prophesied that uh, Revenge of the Sith was the best of the prequels. <laughs> and, uh, we were wrong. So I'm telling you, that this, that. Is the, this is the tragedy of Darth Procon the Wise. <laughs> that might be the episode title. Much more interesting than Darth fucking Plagueis the Wise, or whatever his fucking name is. Uh, Darth Plagueis the Wise, yeah. He's, yeah. Um, he, fun fact, Darth Plagueis is the same species um, on the moon as the banking clan representative, Sam Hill. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, anyway, yeah, the, this, the, the whole thing. Anyway, prequel, what do we like about this movie? <laughs> nothing. Um, the opening sequence is really fun. Uh, the, the, the mad dash to save Puppetine from Rivers' ship, the Invisible Hand, which is... A nice name for the Trade Federation flagship. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. That is good. I wonder if that was intentional. It must be. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess know, so. It, actually, this is a funny anecdote about the <laughs> Invisible Hand. Um, I was playing Apples to Apples once, like, years and years ago at, um, with a bunch of normies, basically. And um, one, of, one of the cards that somebody played was the Invisible Hand. Um, but obviously, it's referring to the, the concept in economics. Um, not the not the grievous ship, and um, <laughs> oh my god, like, where this is going. Everyone's like invisible hand. What's that? And um, one of the people we were playing with was this pretty hardcore libertarian. Like I knew his political beliefs, but I didn't want to get into. I don't want to like bring up politics around him because like you know we had all been drinking and like I, I didn't want to like get into a hear someone talk about like drunk like some libertarian from New Hampshire drunkenly tell me like why. He thinks the invisible hand is like the greatest thing that God ever gave to humanity. And so I explained that the invisible hand was General Reeves' flagship. Cause like, I didn't, cause I'm like, oh, I know what that is. And they're like, what? I'm like, oh, uh, uh, uh. It's, it's General Reeves' flagship from Star Wars Episode 3. <laughs> cause my social anxiety was kicking in and I didn't want to go through like, oh, well, it's this thing from, uh, Adam Smith. And like, it means that people feel the pressures of, of of like material insecurity, blah blah blah, and go to this like completely bullshit and like insufferable political talk with this guy. Wow, yeah, yeah. that's um, I don't have uh, a story like that. <laughs> that's to, probably uh, for the best for any of these things. Unfortunately, sorry. <laughs> so back to the movie. <laughs> back to the movie. Um, yeah. So the the opening scene or the opening the opening sequence of scenes um where we we, we start with a a dog fight over coruscant actually which then when we actually get to coruscant like i expected coruscant to be like more in disarray but is this kind of normal on coruscant i kind of i was like that's kind of bullshit like what do you mean i don't know i just thought like the battle would go from like space to maybe like the, the planet atmosphere, like maybe they'd be fighting over the planet. Maybe there'd be like more, I don't know. I thought like maybe the trade federation would take over a portion of the planet. I, I just thought like there could be more done with that. It just seemed very like, you know, peaceful still on Coruscant for like a giant fucking war to be done right above them. Once again, the Tartarovsky cartoon saves us because they, they do invade the ground in the cartoon and that's how they abduct Palpatine. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It does save us. Um, I mean, I think canonically, if, if you want to go look on Wikipedia, kids, you can do this. Um, they The Trade Federation does land ground forces, of course, um, but I think just given what we're seeing on screen, 
we can assume that the planet has a planetary shield, which it does. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you can explain it away, but from just like a dynamic visual film perspective, it would have been much cooler to see different, like different theaters of combat, I guess. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, but it's, especially since like the way they establish the battle of Coruscant, the battle over Coruscant. So like the first shot of this movie, it pans down from outer space as it always does to a, to a ship. Um, so it is, and I look this up, it's a vent. What is it? Venator. Yeah. I looked this up. It's a Venator class star destroyer. Uh, it's a star destroyer that has like a red stripe in the middle, basically. I, I know. Um, well, yes. Yeah. Well, our, our <laughs> guests might not, uh, our listeners might not know. So, you know, it pans down to the, the Venator class Star Destroyer and then uh, the two Jedi starfighters that belong to Anakin and Obi-Wan come into frame and then uh, the camera shifts um, to a closer perspective uh, to the ships and, uh, and, and the Star Destroyer. And then as, as they pass the Star Destroyer, the, the camera follows them and you see below the Star Destroyer the battle of Coruscant happening so at first I was like oh are they going to go into the Star Destroyer ship like are they just coming back from a dogfight but no the fight is going on below them so it establishes like there is this fucking crazy fight raging on and um, yeah I thought from there there would be more than just the battle over Coruscant it would be the battle of Coruscant but I don't know. It is. It is. It's a nice establishing shot. It's. It really opens up um, avenues for for more than than what we see. Sure. Um, but still, you know, the the sequence here is not squandered. Uh, again, I think this is probably one of the better sequences, if not the best sequence in this film, because there there's only cross cutting um, within the scene that makes sense. Cross cutting between like. You know, Anakin talking to Obi Wan, cross cutting um, between like the cockpit, and then you know outside of this, the 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 Jedi starfighters. Just overall, like it is a well edited scene. Sure. Um, and it's crazy because it's twenty seven minutes long. Like it's the first twenty seven minutes yeah. of this movie is the a dogfight, which uh, is very dynamic. It includes. Uh, the vulture droids, the buzz droids, um, just one of, uh, this is, I, I would say, the best dogfight in the prequels, which, it, they don't have a lot of dogfights anyway. Like, there's the dogfight in the first one, and then is one, there a dogfight in the second one? There's one per movie. There's um, the Naboo yellow starfighters attack the, right. the control ship in episode one. Right. And then in episode two, there's um, Jango Fett in Slave One versus Obi-Wan in his Jedi Starfighter. Right. And you know, it's, that's actually not terrible. That's an no, okay scene. We didn't really talk about that previously, but it's okay. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's um it's very clean, it's very like comprehensible. It's basically just Django Fett chasing Obi Wan through an asteroid field and then he thinks he kills him and that's it. Yeah, it, they're they're all good. They're all none, none of them are like hard to follow, none of them are none of them are disappointing. And this one but this one I think takes the cake, you're right. Yeah, so the I think the coolest part is the vulture droids, um, which are actually like ships, they shoot out these missiles um, that when they explode, they turn into these smaller droids called buzz droids, which 
can affix themselves to uh, the Jedi starfighters and they just start wreaking havoc basically. Yeah. And they, they're called buzz shards cause they basically have like buzz saws and they're just like taking, you know, apart the, the ship. Um, they, they, they latch onto Obi-Wan ship and then, uh, R4, his, his, um, what are those droids called? Oh my God. Astromech. Astromech droid is trying to fight it off, but it's, it, it gets killed actually. It gets yeah, destroyed. Yeah. Um, so then Anakin has to like shoot, at them which is obviously a terrible idea yeah. um then he has to like like swat them off with like the wing of his ship <laughs> like which also them. is like absurd um and then does r2 do anything in that scene does he like yeah use the, any of his projectiles or something there are there's like one that anakin can't get off of Obi-Wan's ship and then when he tries to crush them with his wing that one jumps onto his ship and then it fights R2, and R2 zaps him in the eye, so R2 gets a kill. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. R2 has the like the electric shock. Yeah, yeah. Little static shock. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and this is a cool battle sequence for a number of reasons because um, there, there's like one of the guns on one of the main ships. I, I think I think it's actually on the invisible hand, but we see the inside of like the the, the way the turrets work, um, and they shoot and they like inject a shell from the oh, back. Yeah. And that's, that was awesome. That was really cool. And then you see like the clones in the Venator class and they're running back and forth and they're trying to like crank the guns around. And it really had that feel of like the like the great naval battles of history. Um so the the feel of the combat in this scene definitely was keeping in the um the more antiquated feel of the combat of the prequels in general. Like you have um like I was saying in episode one, you have armies lining up on a big plane and they march towards each other in formation with artillery. You have um, clone troopers having these big guns that look almost like muskets. And then you have droids and clones shooting, shooting each other from their ships, like with cannon and doing like broadsides and stuff. So like, like the feel of the combat in the prequels pretty consistently felt more um, more like classical than like the World War II inspired combat of the original trilogy. And that is one thing um, on, a, on, a, on a prequel trilogy wide scale that I really appreciated. Yeah, never thought about that, but that I think that's correct, and um, it is uh, it's uh, something to highlight definitely because uh, Slim Pickens with uh, this this fucking Very this fucking movie. So uh, I'm glad we have uh, something, but um, yeah. So the rest of this sequence is actually in the Invisible Hand. Yeah. Um, so Obi Wan and Anakin, along with R two D two. What is what is he? Oh, they sh- they shoot out like the shield thing for the docking bay. But then, what does Grievous do to like close? The, he just like closes the hangar door. I, th- I basically. think so. What happens there. So another reason that this is a really cool dogfight is um, I, I think it's the only sequence in any Star Wars movie where like it starts in space as a dogfight and then it transitions into a ship or space station and the fight and this in the scene of the adventure still continues as like one rolling one rolling sequence rather than like exclusively just space or exclusively just on a ship you know um mm-hmm. and as, as, a, as a part of that anakin shoots at the the shields of the ducking bay and so they start losing the artificial atmosphere inside and then the security emergency door starts to slam shut and that's how they that's how they sneak in they 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 make it right right very you know indiana jones style except in starfighters um yeah yeah, so then they're inside you know they're just 
destroying droids left and right with their lightsabers. And it's so it's so bad because like they cut through these droids like nothing. Like it, they they might as well not have droids there. Like like what is the point when the Jedi? Yeah, just, like, I, no, it's true. Down? Yeah, even like the destroyer droids who have um, the shields, like they just usually just get out of their way. Like yeah. as opposed to fighting them, they're just like you know, find cover. Or I'll just like get in an elevator or something. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It's like it's, why do you why are you making so many of these drawings? It's like epic level characters fighting like a level one like peon like I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> give them something a little stronger. DM, come on, roll up a roll up a giant battle droid with like shields and like laser buzzsaw arms or something. Yeah. Well, you know we do get the the two droids that are like I, the guards to Grievous. The bodyguard who, droids, yeah. Yeah, the bodyguard droids. Again, they're kind of bested easily, but they they, they they're more hand to hand combat. So they have these quarter staffs that um, on each end have like plasma somethings. I don't know. Yeah, they can they can deflect lightsaber hits basically? Right, and they do go down pretty easily, but they last like ten times as long as any individual battle droid does. Right. I mean, you know, there's like, they can parry, uh, you know, One, like, Obi- we can... Obi-Wan cuts off the head of his and it keeps fighting. That's right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the, Obi-Wan and Anakin then get to, like, the, the bridge of the ship, um, where oh, Grievous oh, has... first... Oh, wait, no, first, first is... they kill... That's they right. kill Count Kaka. <laughs> Count Dudu dies. Yes. Uh, in the holding cell where where um, Palpatine is, um, pretty boring fight. It's uh, some of the yeah. worst CGI. When any time where they have a fully CGI human being jumping around doing these crazy acrobatics, um, it's it's that's when like the Wuxia films of like the the sixties and seventies did it so much better yep. just with like wire work. You know, it's yeah. like how hard would it have been to do wire work with this fucking movie guys? Like if the Shaw brothers could figure it out, you know, 30, 40 years ago, why couldn't you guys figure it out for this one? Lucas, we are revoking your weeaboo card um, for not <laughs> using wire work in all your Jedi fight scenes. Cause you had the, the perfect reason to, you had the perfect excuse to, um, they're literally using the force to fly around. Why not? But no, he, he had to stay with this really wonky looking CGI of like 85 year old Christopher Lee doing backflips and shit. And it just, it looks, it, 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 it's really dated at this point, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, and to think like Crashing Tiger Hidden Dr- Dragon is a, is a contemporary film. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. <laughs> they didn't, they used very minimal CGI. Yeah. I mean, granted, maybe they're not doing like the absurd, like, forward flips that they they, they do some uh, crazy does. shit in those movies. they still do crazy yeah, acrobatics no. of course but i mean granted the stuff that like dooku does in this scene and then palpatine does later like i think maybe no human being could do maybe that's why like right i don't know i i don't want to defend it it's it, it looks awful yeah um it just doesn't like it it's out of place it's so out of place in any scene and another problem i have um with the fight scenes um, that really, really were obvious in this one, um, is that like we, it's the same, it's it's like the same collection of force powers that are used. Like, yeah, you augment your strength, you augment your speed, you can jump higher, you're more agile, 
you can do force push, you can do force choke if you're evil, and you can do lightning if you're evil. And it's like, that's it. Like, there's nothing else beyond that. And, like, the force is supposed to be, like, the most powerful thing in the universe. Like, you can do whatever. Like, show some variety. Like, give... I don't know, like, like... Again, dude, to go back to The Last Jedi, that, that film that everyone hates that I, I love to stand for, um, one of the things I like in that movie is we get um, a number of new Force powers that are used in really cool ways. Um, in all three prequels, it's like the same damn Force powers from the from the original trilogy. And I don't know, it, it, it's just a, it belies a real lack of imagination um, because it, it's just the same thing, just remixed in different ways. And it, it's really difficult to sit there. Yeah, it's annoying. So yeah, Count Dudu dies. Um, Palpatine's like, yeah, you should kill him. You should fucking kill this dude. Yeah, do um, it. So I can yeah. chops his hands off and and chops his head off as well. Um, and then they get to the bridge where Grievous and his bodyguard droids are. Um, and this is actually well, there's there's two favorite lines of mine from this scene. <laughs> um, during the doo um duel between Anakin and Count Dooku uh right before they start fighting like they're kind of just talking smack and Anakin says my powers have doubled since we last met and it's like you're such a fucking fail like that's the best you could do is just my powers have doubled like that even said doubled it's like come on the the insults they use in the entire invisible hand sequence um like like the one you were going to mention next is when, when they meet General Grievous Yes, go ahead. Just Grievous is like, ah, the negotiator, General Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and it's that crazy. one's legitimately good. Like, I like that one yeah, a lot. That's yeah, such yeah. a sick bird. It's like, oh yeah, the negotiator, the guy who just fucking chops <laughs> people up. <laughs> and it's crazy because in the novel, that insult is more pointed because the novel explains that Obi-Wan is really renowned for like, for his diplomacy and for his negotiation skills. So, like, when. <laughs> That's hilarious. It is. It makes more sense in the novelization, but, like. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, but, um. Yeah, I kind of love John Grievous. He's just, like, this bumbling, idiot, awkward oaf. So, my running theory for John Grievous is that he's the, the Hikikomore of, of the Star Wars universe. He's, like, this. He's, like, this sickly, traditional warrior guy who whose body is totally useless, so he, like. He's really into tech too, so he like gets a, a a new exoskeleton, but it's still like frail looking and like skinny and emaciated. And he's obsessed with swords, and um, he's like he talks like he has like all his honor as a warrior, but he's a coward and he runs away at the first sign of like trouble. Um, that was amazing. Yeah, that's my favorite. Part I really, I, 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 <laughs> I ironically like that. Like he, he's just like a straight up like shitty no honor coward and he just runs away whenever like the second something starts to go wrong he's just like fuck this (laughs) yeah and he just collects these swords and like he I don't know he's a robot but he coughs all the time and like he he has like mucus leaking out of his eyes he's more interested than he has any right to be yeah definitely um were there any comic books with him? Like, I feel like, oh, yeah. especially now oh, yeah. when Disney and Marvel partnered to do like a lot of the more recent comic books, they definitely should have done a Grievous. I know they did a Darth Maul, like a mini series. They should do like a fucking long series of Grievous because he's so interesting. They have. There's, um, I think, I think his backstory is primarily explained through comics. Um, You're he- right. 
before Disney bought it. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, the Legends kind of right movie. after this. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I do remember that. Yeah, he he's like a a warrior, alien like an alien warrior race, and like he's really brutal. And he, I don't know. He he does like some. He sacrifices himself to save his tribe by like donating his his brain to the Trade Federation. But then the Trade Federation kills his tribe anyway. And like Dooku's able to manipulate him into like being his servant. It's really complicated. They should do a reboot comic of that, definitely. Yeah, where it's revealed he has a crippling addiction to hentai. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but even before Grievous escapes um, like a coward, there's an interesting sequence where um, the ship is damaged. Um, and at some point, you know, it does break apart. But um, it's damaged so much that it starts to nosedive. And... Um, uh, this is much to Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Palpatine's advantage because at this point they were trying to get down an elevator that wasn't working. Um, it had previously been established that R2 could, you know, plug into the, the mainframe of, of the ship and he can, you know, redirect the elevator to go up and down. Um, but uh, he, I think, was fighting. Well, that's an, another great part of this is that yes. R2-D2 gets to fight. Um, he fights two battle droids by... Uh, inking them up with with oil and then using like his thrusters to to put them on fire uh it's pretty great but um while he's busy fighting droids um the the ship starts to nosedive and so the elevator shaft is actually a a surface on which obi-wan anakin and palpatine can walk now um uh, then of course um they're able to right the ship again uh, and uh, Palpatine, Obi Wan, and I kind of like in this free fall. Um, but yeah, it was just yeah, it was just an interesting change of perspective um, that I thought was pretty unique. I think that's the only time in Star Wars where um, artificial gravity gives out on a ship. Because um, like like obviously in all Star Wars, all Star all, all Star Wars ships or bat or like space stations that are big enough to walk around on have some kind of like gravity that they generate so that you can walk like a normal person and like normal portions and normal uh normal like perspectives and everything but um yeah i i can't really think of another time where like the gravity in in the perspective of of the entire environment shifts like that and it, it was cool to see um unfortunately they didn't do much with it but it but it was a cool little set piece in the, in the elevator shaft there yeah, it's. I mean, it's really just like a minute or two um, with them being able to walk down the elevator shaft, and then um, it's also funny when R two D two, he when the gravity shifts, basically he he falls um, into like this pile of like battle droid debris, yeah. basically. Yes. Um, and then the, and ship, uh, the ship crashes next to him. Yeah, yeah. So it's. It's a, it's a fun scene. This whole sequence, this whole twenty-seven minute sequence, is just one of the more fun sequences of honestly the whole prequel film. Yeah, it's also the only point in like any of these movies where Obi Wan and Anakin have any kind of friendly camaraderie. Um, yes. Oh my god, it, that's so true. They barely know each other in the first one, and like Obi Wan has like open contempt for him in the first one, which is kind of funny. Like unwittingly funny, but like he hates this kid. Um, <laughs> in the second one, Obi-Wan is super, super condescending to him. He calls him like my young Padawan all the time. Um, and Anakin just loathes him like, like a 
resentful teenager to his father. And then they're apart for the majority of the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. They have no time to build a rapport. <laughs> like, like, like I said in episode two, like I honestly think Qui Gon and Anakin have more screen time together than Anakin and Obi Wan in number one and number two. But yeah. I, would, I would have to check. Um, but yeah, here in three, we finally see them together, and like they're actually fighting together. They're making jokes. Like Obi Wan's kind of stuffy, but he's still sarcastic. Anakin's kind of like too intense, but he can still appreciate a good joke. And like they actually have some semblance of a personality of personalities. And it ends immediately after they land in course. <laughs> like, it just dies right there. <laughs> yep. It is also, a DOA, like their ship. Yes. Uh, and the whole the whole sequence of landing the ship and, like, making a little action beat out of that was kind of cool, too. The ship, like, breaks apart on re-entry to the atmosphere of Coruscant. Um, you know, it goes on fire, like ships do when when any, well, like anything does when it enters an atmosphere of a planet. Um, and they're, like... They're trying to land it on this actual landing strip on Coruscant, um, but it's on fire, and uh, they don't have enough like room on the runway. But there's these other ships that are like firefighter ships, yeah. basically that like shoot a foam onto onto the invisible hand. It was yeah, it was pretty cool, and it, they, they also knock out um, a, tower, a yeah. control tower. Yeah, it was. Uh, Again, I was really impressed by this sequence, and then um, I hated this movie every moment afterwards. <laughs> Although not yet, because we see um, Jar Jar Binks in the next scene, briefly. Oh yeah, that's Very right. Briefly. And he says his like one line. He's like, "Excuse me." <laughs> that's all he says. Um, also, uh, George Lucas uh, appears briefly in the next scene. Um, he plays Baron Pompadonio or something like some blue-skinned alien with a turban. Um, Oh yeah, yeah. And That's he, not the next scene, though. Well, no, is he, it? he he does appear in the opera scene later on, but I think he is also no. It's his his daughter plays a blue skinned alien too, and she's in the scene after they land. Oh, okay. She in like the entourage? Yeah, she, like she's she's one of the people in the entourage, like like Palpatine oh, okay. in the entourage. Um, yeah, yeah. And also, this is a small thing in that scene. Um, after Obi-Wan leaves and after Palpatine walks off with Mace Windu and, and the whole the whole senator group, um, Anakin kind of like runs off to the side in the shadows and he sees Padme. And like, this is the one scene where the two of them have any kind of chemistry because she reveals to him that she's pregnant and Anakin is like visibly sh- like shaken by the news. And he's still trying to like put on a happy face despite it. So like, it's not the best acted scene, but it is like, head and shoulders above anything else that's Anakin Padme in this movie. Yeah, I, I'll give you that. It's better than the, the balcony scene. Literally the next scene, um, yes. The night balcony scene, the next scene, yes. which is just awful. So He's bad. like, oh, what's the dialogue? It's like, oh, I'm I'm just like, I can't think straight because I love you. And like, oh, is that me? You're blind with love? No, and it, He's like, no. The, the, the dialogue is um, Padme is brushing her hair and she's like looking out to the lights of the city. And Anakin's like, you are so beautiful. And she's like, maybe it's because I'm so in love. He's like, no, it's because I'm so in love with you. And she's like, maybe love is blinded you. (laughs) And he's like, no, no, love isn't blinded me, I swear. It is so bad. Like, everyone knocks these movies for this, but, like, it cannot be overstated. Like, I understand that writing dialogue is difficult. I understand that writing, like non-laughable romantic dialogue is extremely difficult but like you, you can you can do better than this like any 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 functioning adult who had any kind of like 
normal relationship with somebody else can be better than this. Yeah. Or apparently not. Or sort of like if you're George Lucas or the other writers yeah. of this this film, however. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like So other things that we liked about this movie, um, I, you know, I, I don't think we should do a plot um, synopsis, well, a, plot, a beat synopsis of this movie, because it would really just bore people. To and that's what I was going to say. Like, we can't because literally the next. So the whole opening sequence was like, what, 15 percent of the movie or let's say 20 percent of the movie. The next like 60 percent of the movie up until like the last half hour like nothing happens people just yeah, nothing people happens. sit in conference rooms and talk to each other people sit in chairs and do holograms to each other people walk down the jedi the hallway in the jedi temple and talk to each other people sit in palpatine's office and talk to each, like nothing happens yeah so i mean a lot of the action is um obi-wan trying to find and then take down Grievous. Right. So there's a lot of action that takes place on Utapa. Um, oh, oh, excuse me. Um, you know, and I, okay, I so this is something I like. I like the uh, lizard creature that oh, Obi-Wan, Boga. Uh, is that the name of the creature? Yes. Boga? Boga. Boga? Boga, B-O-G-A. Okay. And is that the species, or is that like that the name of that animal? That's the name of it. I forgot the species. Oh, okay. That's cute that he named his animal. <laughs> no, he again. If you read the novelization, like I told you to, he he finds out that its name is Boga. <laughs> oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, it's funny, folks. I actually um, it was earlier in the year. Uh, my parents <laughs> were visiting, and my mom was like, uh, "Is there anything you want me to bring from the house?" Because they're like. They're decluttering. They're going to move probably soon. And I was like, okay, hopefully you still have it. I want the novelization yes. of Revenge of the Sith. And then, like, I sent her a screenshot of what the cover looks like. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, 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 we still have it. So I, I will read it eventually this year. Spe- specifically because I keep bugging Lewis to read it. Yeah. And it's uh, the only novelization of any of the star wars films i have or any yeah kind of like ex- expanded universe stuff so i will i will throw you that bone but yeah Uda, Uda Pau has some cool sequences um i know at this point in the in the production of star wars they must have been really like racking their brains to think of like oh what kind of new biome can we do for a planet like we, we've done so many different ones like we, we need to do a new gimmick for a planet so having like a planet full of sinkholes was kind of cool. Um, the whole planet of Utapau is like all, all of their society live in these gigantic, like miles wide and miles tall um, or miles deep sinkholes. And their cities are built on the sides of the holes. Um, it was kind of neat. And Obi-Wan, <laughs> what's really funny about the way he, he confronts Grievous, he just like walks up to him and jumps down. Yeah. Is- yeah, the, yeah, Grievous is having a meeting with the Trade Federation yeah. and the, the Commerce Guild. He's like, you all have to go to Mustafa. And they're like, okay. Uh, and then, yeah, just, <laughs> Obi-Wan jumps down. He's like, what does he say? Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> well, that's a meme. Really that's says. a prequel meme now. Just saying hello there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but that kicks off this, um, you know, which it could be a good action sequence but this is one of the action sequences that is cross-cut to shit the problem with this sequence isn't just that 
it is cross-cut um, with other, you know, um, bullshit on <laughs> yeah. other planets uh, for like five minutes. It's cross-cut between other bullshit on other planets, different tones for like the rest of this movie. Yeah, because at, at this... It takes him the rest of the movie to fucking kill Grief. Because at, at this point, we, we kind of sped past some stuff, but like, it's honestly not worth talking about. Like, Palpatine ever ever more subtly corrupts Anakin. Padme cries a lot. Anakin and Obi-Wan kind of, like, stare daggers at each other and just, like, talk passive-aggressively to each other. The Council is a dick to Anakin. Anakin's a dick to the Council. But like, by the time Obi-Wan gets to Utapau, um, Yoda is on Kashyyyk with the Wookiees. And everyone else is on Coruscant. So, like, you're cutting in three ways through, like, two different battles in, like, one very dry sequences of conversations. And um, it, it lasts for quite a while, like Rose was saying. Yeah, no, it's... um, And, and uh, you know, talk about the fucking... The Wookiee battle. Like, I mean... I was really disappointed by yeah. that. I had read, um, and I know you hate this, but I read the comic book adaptation yes. of Revenge of the Sith, yep. which I thought was good when I was 15 years old. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, I mean, with a more refined palate at 15, <laughs> did not like it. I did not like um, it at 15. But there's more on Kashyyyk. Like, they, there are more scenes. There's, like, more pages and panels yep. than there are shots on Kashyyyk in this fucking movie. Um, like there's that stupid fucking part where one of the Wookiees does the the Tarzan yell. You mean the amazing part? I love that oh the Wookiees. God. I hate so stupid. It's a it's a Wookiee war cry. What do you think? It's like a tradition. They're they're traditional like warrior culture. I, yeah, I guess so. But like a Tarzan yell. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, excuse me. That's canon from Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi when Chewie swings with the with the Ewoks onto the roof of the ATST. Yeah, but that's better. Like that is but honestly, it's established as a part of the Wookiee culture. You know what? Fuck Wookiee culture. Wow. Okay. That's okay. That, yeah, I don't care. I don't care about Wookiee culture. Lewis is androcentric. He is part of the Empire. He's human first. <laughs> um, the only thing I liked in that whole sequence was um, as the Trade Federation droids are, uh, you know, they're they're attacking the beachhead at Kashik. Um, there's like that one spider droid that like comes out of the water. I, I like that. That was a nice touch. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I guess it was kind of cool to see Chewbacca. That's, that was like really fan servicey, but it's cute when, when Yoda rides on his shoulders. Briefly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going, going back to the Utapau thing, like, cause like while we see this shit going down in Kashyyyk, um, Obi-Wan is chasing General Grievous through Utapau. Because, like, first, oh my god, first, Grievous is built up as, like, this such a badass. He's, like, this four-armed, like, demigod of death. And, like, he can spin his lightsabers like a buzzsaw. And apparently he killed all these Jedi and took all their lightsabers. But Obi-Wan, like, cuts off his hands and, like, destroys his lightsabers. Immediately. Yeah, like, five seconds in. And I, he doesn't use a lightsaber again. No. Like... That's it. I was re- There's no more lightsaber fight between them. I was really pissed as a kid because I thought we would get more more Grievous like fighting than that. But um, yeah, then the clones invade and the clones start fighting the droids. And um, that kicks off the chase scene where Boga and Obi-Wan chase Grievous on like his giant unicycle. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, but even then, that cuts to some other bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, 
on a different planet. To Padme, and, Padme crying on the couch. Yeah, most likely. Uh, or like Yoda looking at a map or some some bullshit. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I do. I do appreciate the um, the last sequence between Obi Wan and Grievous. Yes. The last sequence of this fight yeah. um, is not a lightsaber fight. He um, Obi Wan actually loses his lightsaber. Um, he just, and he has, a clone trooper he just, gives it to him later. Yeah, he literally just drops it. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 hand to hand at this point between Obi Wan and Grievous, which like we don't see a lot of hand to hand combat in any Star Wars film. Um, um, we see a lot of it in the PlayStation One game Star Wars Masters of Taras Kasi. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you said that game sucks, so I've never played. Uh, I played it once briefly, and it's really bad. Hmm. Well, yeah. this this movie did it did hand to hand combat in a Star Wars setting pretty yeah, well. I like that Obi Wan is forced to use a gun. Like he, Grievous, Grievous has a gun and he and Obi Wan knocks it out of his hand. And um, Obi Wan's like hanging off the edge of a cliff, and the only weapon in reach is Grievous's gun, and so he uses that to kill Grievous, which was pretty cool. Yeah, he shoots him like in his heart chest cavity, yeah. basically. Um, and that's a cool effect. So he shoots him three or four times and his chest cavity catches fire. And then like there's fire like coming out of his eye sockets of his armor. Um, that was pretty cool. Actually, he looked like Ghost Rider. So I thought that was cool. Legitimately what I thought. I've never day put that it. together before, but it, it totally makes sense because you're obsessed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Uh, um, but no, even like during the fight, like they really establish uh, that, like they do establish Grievous's power. Like mm-hmm. there's this, there's this one shot where um, it's just like they're doing fisticuffs basically, and Grievous goes to punch Obi Wan. Obi Wan dodges, but Grievous like hits his ship and like leaves a sizable dent in the ship. Right. So you you know you do get the scale of like okay it would suck for Obi-Wan to get punched by Grievous right now. Like, he is a formidable foe and it's, to an extent. Yeah, and it's funny when Obi-Wan tries to kick his knee and then Obi-Wan, like, hurts his own foot when he kicks oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. <laughs> so, like, it's a decent fight, yeah. but it's just it's just too little too yeah, late. for sure. For sure. Um, and after this, we kind of go directly to... Um, Anakin telling Mace Windu that he knows Palpatine's a Sith Lord. And, like, he tells him, and they're walking through a hangar bay, and they're just, like, calmly walking. It looks like they're walking out of a people mover. And, um, <laughs> like, and then Anakin's just, like, in a monotone when he tells him he's, like, Palpatine's a Sith Lord. And Windu's like, what? A Sith Lord? Okay. I, you've, if you've, you've earned my trust, so stay here. And it it's, like, the, what should be the second most dramatic like moment so far, and um, I don't know, just not delivered well or shot well or conceived of well anyway, and um, yeah, it just sucks. <laughs> yeah, and then the fight between Windu, Palpatine, and then three other Jedi. There's Kit Fisto, and who are the other Kit two? Kit Fisto, Sacy Ten, and Egan Collar. Yeah, so the last two you mentioned get taken out, like, immediately. Yeah, they, like, Palpatine should. shows his lightsaber. He just, like, jumps and, like, doo, doo, like fucking mercs them. Um, 
Kid Fistu lasts like two seconds more yeah. than that. Because and then he's Hindu. a fan favorite, that's why. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. Um, his episode in the uh, Clone Wars. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, 2D animation one's pretty good where it's mostly underwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a cool one. Um, and a lightsaber underwater. So it like has that like effect, like spectral effect to it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Check it out, folks. Again, really. The only reason we did these, uh, <laughs> just retconning the reason we did this is just to have you all watch uh, Gendy Tartofsky's uh, Clone yes. Wars miniseries. Um, but yeah, the rest of this fight scene's garbage. Um, Mace Windu um, gets the jump on him, basically. Um, he's, on Sheev. Yeah. This is Sheev Palpatine. Yeah, this is when we. Uh, f- this is how Palpatine gets his his fucked up face. He's doing the light, the 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 force lightning to um to Windu. Windu's reflecting it back to him with his lightsaber. Oh, and his his face is melting, and he's like, "Help me! I'm too weak. I, I can't hold on any longer." And like, it's so goofy. Um, I remember the big group of people I went to go see this movie with in theaters. A bunch of kids that I didn't know very well were like cracking up. They were just like laughing their asses off. <laughs> first, first when before his face started melting, when when Mace when Mace Windu and Palpatine are just like doing the lightsaber duel, and Ian McDermott he's like making these faces, like he's like making this O face, and like it looks he's like making like a little <laughs> oh, ah, oh, ah, little sounds, and like they were they started laughing then, <laughs> yes. and I I like. I remember I pointedly leaned out of my seat and glared at them because I was too like nervous to tell them to shut up. But like I was like trying to <laughs> express my disapproval in a very visual way in a darkened theater, no less. Um, and then once his face starts to melt and he's like just going crazy, they were just like laughing their asses off. And I, w- I mean, credit to them. Like I, I was wrong then, and I- I'm because I was cracking up when I was like, like watching this, just like. <laughs> Okay. Looking at his dumb face, like turned to wax and rubber. <laughs> My one uh, Palpatine anecdote that I have um, before this, when um, Palpatine uh, finally reveals to Anakin that he's a Sith, he talks about like powers you can learn, blah blah blah, and uh, he says, "Not from a Jedi." Yes. And like me and my friends would just say that randomly, Amazing. like in, in just any context, it would just we would just say not from a Jedi. The, these movies—that's all I got. These movies create a lot of those types of like meme lines, just because of how insane and goofy they are. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of great memes out there. Um, so thank you, George Lucas, for that alone. <laughs> anyway, uh, Anakin. Cho- we didn't mention the opera scene to go. Oh yeah, um, that's that's to rewind a little bit here. And that's uh from that that's the not from a Jedi scene. It's when Anakin and Open Sidious, or it's when Anakin and Palpatine have uh, one of their innumerable dis- discussion scenes. Um, Anakin's meeting with with Palpatine at, at like an opera, and um, it's pretty cool because it's this you can see it in the background. It's this giant orb of floating water. Um, well, there's a couple of them, but there's this one central one, and then these ballet dancers, like these, these swimmer ballet dancers who, in the, in the Expanded Universe, are Mon Calamari, the same species as, as Admiral Ackbar. Um, huh. Yeah. They um, they have, like, these long tails, which I think are either, like, fabric or ribbons or, or maybe their own tails or whatever. And they're they're jumping from water orb to water orb in the zero gravity. And it looks really cool. And um, visually, 
uh, I'm not the first one to notice this by any means, but it, it looks like uh, sperm um, fertilizing an egg over and over and over, um, which thematically connects to uh, uh, Palpatine telling Anakin about using the Force to create life. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, and there's a very, like, unsettling, like, droning vocalization in the background yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's one of the, the better, like, dialogue-heavy scenes. Um, I, you know, maybe the dialogue itself isn't great, but, like, at least the atmosphere, like, the the lighting, yeah, right. the shot composition, right. like, is, it is better. For sure. Um, maybe those were, like, I don't know, maybe those weren't directed by Lucas. Although, I don't know, it's, it's pretty integral stuff. I'm sure he didn't have a second unit do that, but you never know. Yeah, I think that's the only dialogue-heavy scene that I really like, um... Literally yeah. every every other one I'm thinking of is people walking down a hallway or sitting on a couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least there's something going on. Um, there was I do like. Um, well, this isn't exactly um, people doing nothing or exactly a, a, a dialogue scene, although um, it does. It it somewhat relates because there's action in the background. Um, so. You know, the Mon Calamari opera stuff is in the background of this scene. That's pretty cool use of, like, you know, background, foreground, middle ground, you know, this, like, kind of deep focus, basically. Uh, And then they do it really well in the Dooku fight, actually, um, because, you know, middle ground, you have, um, you know, uh, Palpatine tied up foreground you have like Anakin and Dooku talking and then the background you have the Battle of Coruscant raging right, right. so you have the dog fights in the background right. I thought that was an interesting little beat um, again you know doesn't happen often and most you know background shots most background action is, is superfluous in this these movies but um, yeah there's, there's a few instances of something interesting happening yeah and then after Anakin helps um Palpatine kill Windu, um, that kicks off Order 60, the infamous Order 66, all the other Jedi are killed. Order 69. Yeah, oh, it should have been Order 69. (laughs) Could you imagine if, like, Lucas didn't know what that meant and just chose that number randomly? That would have been so fucking incredible. Uh, that would have been this movie, the best Star Wars movie of all time. Um, but yeah, obviously, Obi-Wan and Yoda escape, and then they hook up with Jimmy Smith from the office, or not from the office, from the West Wing. And um, they go try to kill Anakin and Palpatine. Uh, they both fail, obviously. And the Anakin, the Anakin Obi Wan duel, it's kind of cool. Um, on Mustafar, it looks really metal, like it's like a lake and river of lava. But um, it's just so overwrought. It it it, go, it goes on for like twenty minutes. Yeah, and does that one cross cut between the Yoda and Palpatine fight? Yes, but what's really awkward about that, again, another awkward shitty cross cut, is the Yoda Palpatine fight lasts about a third as long as the Mustafar fight. Yeah. Um and so like after the Yoda Palpatine fight climaxes and ends and Yoda escapes, and then we see him driving in Jimmy Smith's like space Cadillac. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like his, his shiny cherry red space Cadillac. We jump back to like Obi-Wan and Anakin beating on each other in hell. Yeah, for another, like, 15 Yeah, it's just really weirdly paced, and it does go on so long, and, like, there's some cool little moments and cool little sword flourishes, but, like, it's just so, so long, and, um, 
And then Anakin gets his arms and limbs cut off, and blah, blah, blah. They, they save the kids, uh, Luke and Leia, and then pa- uh, Padme dies, and they go into hiding. And we get a really fan-servicey shot of, we see Owen Lars again, looking out over the binary sunset of Tatooine. And then cut, print, send to, send to editing, it ends, and then... And- and that fucking last scene, I was so underwhelmed by that last yep. scene, actually, on this rewatch. Yep. Like, it's so heavily CGI. Yep. Um, it's like a character I don't give a fuck yeah, about. Owen Lars, thanks. Like, Owen Lars. Wow. It's so great to see him recreating the scene from A New Hope. At least his fucking cellular clone, his father died. Yeah, that's true. But his girlfriend's still there. The word that just is so out of yeah, place. Yeah, so they can, they, can, they can propagate the white race over Tatooine and displace <laughs> the same people. <sighs> oh my God! Speak of the sand people, when Palpatine mentions the sand people to um, Anakin at one point, yes. like the, the the sand people like donkey noise <laughs> happens, and it's the funniest fucking it's like, thing. It's something from like a cartoon, like, like a bad cartoon, like a really bad kids cartoon. It's like, to remind you, this is what the sand people sounds like. It was so hilarious. It's like just this faint whisper of the... Oh, and um, our favorite, like, our favorite Jedi fail son, Qui-Gon, comes back at the end. Because um, Yoda mentions that he talks to Qui-Gon's ghost, and he learned how to become a mortal through Qui-Gon's ghost. And it's like, that's another, like, groundbreaking force thing, like the Chosen One prophecy that is just, like, mentioned and never explained. Like, like Qui-Gon learned how to become a Force ghost and, and survive after death. But it gets literally one line of dialogue from Yoda. Right. It's like, you know, maybe you want to show it? Like, I don't know. Like, do you want to do some more fan service and, like, have a, a Force ghost, you know, like, to just kind of, uh, you know, really put a button on this? It's nope. No, no, just it's a line of dialogue. We're good. Or like set this up at all in any way. It, it's, right. it comes completely out of nowhere, and it, it's so baffling. Like I don't, I don't know. I love Yoda at the end of this movie. Like he is just um, so. We have three fail sons, folks. Yes. Um, yes. They are not just fail sons for this episode, but they're the fail sons for the overarching uh, prequel trilogy. Um, and Yoda is our paper tiger fail yes. son. Uh, yes. You know, they built him up to be such a badass in these prequels. Because he, he had such cultural cachet that like extended far beyond his actual appearances in the other movies. Right. And then, like, basically from the beginning of this one, it's just this steep decline yep. where he just is a, is a loser. He like, sucks. He just keeps... He sucks. He just fucks up constantly. He's actively unethical. He's a douchebag to, like, his underlings. He, he's unsympathetic. He, he isn't wise. Like, I can understand if they wanted to build him up to be, like, a flawed... A flawed mentor that's, like, brilliant and wise, but, like, is too arrogant for his own good. But he isn't even that. He's just, like, a... I don't know. He, he Nothing he does makes sense, and nothing he does, like, is effectual at all. Yeah, even like his little pep talk with Anakin, like when they're in uh, right, Yoda's like right. little chamber, it's just like everything you're telling me sucks. Yep. Like he's just like, uh, yeah, like just uh, forget about all your like your like 
relationships and uh, like steel yourself against loss. And it's like, I don't know. It sounds shitty. I don't want to do that. Why would you want to do that? That's like, you're basically just like foreshadowing like how he acts as Vader later on in life. Like this stoic, like monster, basically. It's like, I don't know, Yoda. That's, I don't, I don't think that worked out really well. Our, uh, our next fail sign is Obi-Wan. Obviously he, he's kind of like the rules obsessed technocrat neoliberal fail sign. I guess you could say he means well in this movie only. Like he has good intentions for Anakin ostensibly. Um, but he, he's, he's just like, it's similar to Yoda in that he's really ineffectual. I, I guess he kills Grievous. So he's more, he's more effectual than Yoda, but like he's completely constrained by the dogma and the ideology in the ideology that he like, believes in and it utterly hampers everything he tries to do like beyond killing Grievous. Yeah. He yells about the prophecy way too much. Like he, he, him specifically, like at the end, um, like that's the last thing he says to Anakin. He was like, you were the chosen one. You were supposed to bring balance to the force, not join the dark side. And of course, Anakin is our fail son, classic flavor. Um, he, he's just a dope. He, nothing he does goes right. Everything he does, like, comes bite, back to bite him in the ass and um it sounds like he has all the makings of a tra- of a tragic hero but he's just so petulant and whiny like no it's it's not heroic tragic or otherwise yeah i mean he just he gives into the dark side pretty easily i mean he just has like some little force premonitions and like who's to say they're real and then he's just like you know what fine i have to become a fucking fascist that's it in, in addition to more obi-wan and anakin relationship that we should have gotten in the first two movies uh we really should have gotten a lot more anakin and palpatine relationship because palpatine and obi-wan are obviously foils for each other in terms of being anakin's mentors but all of that relationship for both for both sets of mentorships are, are backloaded into this episode yeah a, a lot more anakin palpatine relationship would have made his seduction seem much more believable yeah i mean there's only like one or two scenes between them in the previous film um some hints at um yeah his um his shadiness but it's uh, it's barely there uh so workers of note who we got are workers of uh workers oh. of dis note workers of <laughs> workers of a, of a missed note yeah we have some dishonorable mentions here um it's just the editors of this movie honestly yeah. um we we've been harping on it but like the other two films are not this bad when it comes to the editing definitely Um, not episode one and now that i think of it not episode two either yeah so it's interesting so there are two editors for this film there are two editors for the first film there's one editor for um attack of the clones now of course obviously there's not just one singular person that does this there's assistant editors or sound editors so on and so forth um ben ben burt is the constant here um he co-edited the the first film he edited the second film by himself or had the credit as the sole editor um and then he co-edits it with this guy named roger barton for this one um i'm really not familiar with roger barton's work um he seems to have done a lot of michael bay stuff um so i'm just gonna blame roger barton here especially if ben bird did the first two because the first one um is edited fairly competently and there that whole first sequence of um 
the Jedi get into Tatooine in the first episode. Like, I remember you saying that that was really good, and it is really good. Yeah, it's well-paced. Um, I mean, it's, it's well... It's, yeah, it's just... It's well. It's kind of baffling that Ben Bird couldn't even approximate that with this one. Um, so Roger Barton must be, like, really evil. Yeah, definitely a Sith Lord. Well, you know, and I think it's just, like, they, they have... Like, like we keep saying, they've just tried to, you know backload so right. much into this right. movie that this this uber cross-cutting like just it was inevitable yeah. but still you could have done it better than this show. you could have at least used transitions that don't look like they come out of like adobe after effects <laughs> like literally <laughs> i mean they're worse than that they're like iMovie, yeah. right yeah. like they're fucking atrocious well, a checkerboard really yeah <laughs> like we said um, yeah I, I do have one honorable mention I just thought of. It's the author of the novelization, uh, Matthew Stover. He wrote one or two other Expanded Universe Legends uh, books, uh, one called Shatterpoint. Um, and I know he writes his own stuff. Um, it, it has been a while, so I'd have to go back to refresh my, my memory. But it is shocking how much a novelization can save a shitty movie or vice versa. Yeah, I will read it this year. I promise. Um the only worker of note who I wanted to highlight throughout uh, our our three episode run here, and I will never stop highlighting, is Ahmed Best. Yep. <laughs> our buddy the Ahmed the Best. Um, God, Lewis, who would you recommend? So was episode three, Revenge of the Sith. So. Uh, the broke recommendation is for the. Um, the people who gave this film the highest audience score of the prequels, which is 66% audience score. Um, so I recommend it to people who would uh, agree with that, that uh, this is the best of the prequels. If you're going to, if that's your perception, great. Awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Um, my, 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 my woke and discovery recommendations are the same. This movie does have the, the reputation as being the best, the most watchable of the prequels, and is completely unearned. Everyone's just saying that because it's supposedly the darkest and most mature one, um, which is true only from a, the most the most superficial of, pers- of perspectives. Um, everyone says that it's like one where we get to see Anakin turn to Darth Vader, and like who gives a shit? Because it's boring. It sucks. Uh, Anakin as a Anakin as a kid is much more interesting. Give like all told. Yeah. That's fair. Um, all right, so we are done with Star Wars Month. Thank perhaps. God, uh, perhaps. <laughs> um, you know, it might uh, return, strike back. There might be a revenge, oh, even. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was rough, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, there there is something that I'm hinting at. I won't say it until we announce it. Oh, yeah. Um, but join us eventually for a regular film. And join us a year from now when we do this again for a whole month and we dip into the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just do four episodes just on that. of the holiday Jesus special. Christ. Yeah. All right. We'll break it up into scenes. Well, folks, you've been real troopers. You've been real clone troopers. All you Jedi and Sith Lords out there. We'll see you next week when we do a normal fucking movie for once. Yeah. Sorry for this bantha fodder. See ya. And of course with you. And also with you.
the only appropriate response to may the force be with you (laughs)